Good morning, everybody. Um, this is going to be a little bit interesting this morning. I'm, I told uh, Andy and Eric this morning that I feel a little bit like uh, Mission Control. <laughs> I'm trying to do a lot of different things this morning. Uh, we've we've kind of made some shifts in, in a little bit of the the technology side of how we're doing some things, and and uh, I really appreciate the feedback that we received recently about um, kind of how. The last couple of weeks have gone, given us some good uh, information. Hopefully, the sound is working a little bit better for you uh, this week. Um, but feel free to send us any feedback. We definitely want to try to make this uh, as good as we possibly can during this time. This morning will be a little bit different. Again, apologize if uh, if I'm looking here and there. I'm going to attempt to to kind of show the points that I'm making on the screen as well. Uh, try to get that added. Um, and uh, and we'll see we'll see how things go moving forward. But uh, I hope you're excited about continuing our, our series in Genesis. I know it's a little weird not having um, our normal surroundings, and and uh, you know we kind of had a different uh, week last week, being a fifth Sunday, more testimonial, just uh, kind of sharing uh, things that the Lord had been teaching us with you, and uh, and now we're kind of getting back into. Our Genesis series, we're getting back into uh, kind of the flow of things, and I, and I hope that even in in the distracting nature in which we find ourselves, I hope that you're able to to really dig in and engage uh, in the Word of God this morning. and And we have a little bit of, a, of an interesting passage this morning, and and uh, and I hope that you you can uh, you're ready to dig in and just see what God has for us this morning. Let's go ahead and start off. Uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to study it, to learn from it. I pray that it would uh, give us nourishment this morning. I pray that our hearts would be receptive to it. I pray that you would uh, give me the words to speak and help me to communicate your word effectively this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been honored for anything? Have you ever uh, received an award for for some activity that you've done, or or some achievement that you've made, some goal that you have uh, have accomplished. I I think a lot of times, you know, about sports trophies. Uh, I know you all know that I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm super excited about the fact that the that the Chiefs finally won a Super Bowl uh, within my lifetime, and and being able to to just watch them uh, hoist that uh, that trophy. Uh, was just really, really cool, and and I'm sure being a part of that team would probably be uh, even more cool as they're uh, they're lifting this thing that they have they have sought to achieve for uh, many of them for their entire lives, um, and and I I just think about how cool that is to to receive that honor to receive uh, that uh, that award and. And uh, maybe 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 you haven't won a Super Bowl, uh, but maybe you've won some other achievements. Maybe you've you've gotten like the perfect Sunday school uh, attendance award, or or uh, maybe you participated in in some uh, competition like fine arts. I I remember back when I was in high school, we we participated in a in fine arts competition, and probably probably my favorite award was uh, a duet acting. I got to to go to nationals. Uh, and do and actually won second place in duet acting. And got this little plaque that I don't even know where it is anymore, so it's almost pointless. But that was that was a really cool award to win at the time. 
Um, another, as far as achievements are concerned, uh, it used to be years ago, you know, people would spend uh, years and years, practically their entire life, working for the same company. Um, it's a little bit different in my industry. It seems like you change jobs every two to three years, whether you want to or not. <laughs> but it used to be that you would spend 20, 30, 40 years at the same company. And a lot of times there would be uh, milestone uh, awards or, and honoring ceremonies given to people who, who reach certain uh, years of achievement at the same job. And as I was going through this passage uh, the last couple of weeks, I kept coming back to this concept uh, of honor. Uh, we're dealing with a little bit of a unique passage this morning where Sarah has died and uh, we're seeing kind of a, an odd an odd negotiation going on here that um, is a little bit different than than other passages of scriptures that we uh, that we may be teaching from. Um, I know Eric usually gets the genealogies and and I think there's another one coming up that we're going to try to put in his wheelhouse as well. Uh, but this is just a little bit of an odd situation because obviously as we teach the Word of God, we really desire to look for God in the passages of Scripture that we're teaching. Uh, it's not wrong to see what human beings do in these passages and, and even take, have takeaways from what they do and, and try to learn from their mistakes and, and copy their uh, obedience. But we really, our, our main goal is to see God in this passage. And so as I was reading through this, I was trying to figure out how is God displaying himself or his character in some way in this passage? And, uh, and I just couldn't get away from this concept of honor as I was looking at this passage. And, and I, I came down to uh, this idea that, um, that I, I've given the title to my message that God honors faithfulness. God honors faithfulness. Now, you may be wondering, wait a minute, this is, this is Sarah that we're talking about, right? And God honors faithfulness. I mean, let, let's be honest. We know, um, we know Abraham was faithful. We know he made some mistakes, but, but we, see, we see that he was full of faith, that he was, um, that he was faithful to obey the things that God had commanded him. And and we don't really see a whole lot about Sarah. Um, and, and quite frankly, a lot of the things that we've read so far in, in Genesis don't give us a very good light <laughs> on, on Sarah. And so um, you may be wondering, God honors faithfulness. This is a passage about Sarah and her dying. Uh, and so I want to just real quickly kind of go through this passage so that we can get the context of what's going on here. And then I want to uh, just kind of make some points about this idea of God honoring faithfulness, and, and specifically the faithfulness of Sarah. So as we look at this passage, the first thing that we see, obviously, is what? Sarah has died, right? We see that Sarah has died here in chapter 23, verses, verse 1, says, Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died at Kiriatharba, sorry, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn, went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So Sarah has passed away. She's lived 127 years, and she has passed away here uh, in Hebron. And uh, and we see Abraham here. He's mourning uh, her loss, and and it's kind of going through that that normal process of of making sure that 
things get taken care of the way that culturally they were supposed to be taken care of. And, uh, and we know that Abraham and Sarah and, and everybody with them, they're, they're, they're sojourners in the land of Canaan right now. They, they don't have a, a place that is their own. They don't own anything. God's promised it to Abraham and to his offspring, but they don't own any of the land of Canaan. And so Abraham has a problem here because he needs to bury Sarah. He needs to, to give his honor to his wife of, of many years, and, and he needs to give her a, a burial place. And of course, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that um, many times that was done in a cave or in, a, in, in some sort of tomb that was either natural or that was carved out. And so here we see Abraham going, and he wants to bury Sarah in this cave. Um, and so he goes to the Hittites. And we're not going to reread it because Andy already read through the passage um, just for sake of time. But he goes to the Hittites here, and he kind of goes through this, this normal cultural um, process of, of bartering. And, uh, and it's really interesting to go through and read. And, and uh, what you see here, it kind of seems like, um, in, in some cases, the Hittites like, don't really want to, to sell him the land, but he kind of convinces them. Um, and it was interesting, the more I, I read about this process, this is actually a fairly common uh, process that they went through of, of offering the land uh, for offering for him to use the land, and then no, I'm going to buy the land. Um, and so, what seems you know kind of interesting about this passage in this bartering system really was was a cultural norm. And when he, when uh, he comes to the Hittites, it's interesting that he first comes to them to everyone all together, and he basically says, "I want to buy land to bury my wife." He's making a, a public proclamation to the people there, the Hittites, and, uh, and, he, and he says, I want to buy land. And he's just kind of making this, this open proclamation. And then he specifically calls out Eph- Ephron. And he says, I want to buy this specific piece of land. And I know that it's owned by Ephron. It's this cave, and it's attached to this field. And, I, and this is the, the cave that I want to buy from Ephron. And then we see Ephron uh, going through here, and he's He's starting this bartering process with Abraham, and he he offers Abraham basically to bury his dead, uh, his his wife, to bury her in the cave. You know, don't worry about it, no charge. What is that between you and me? It's it's not a big deal. You know, we're you know we're both good for it. We're both pals. You know, very amiable. Uh, which, as I found out, was was actually just kind of a a cultural norm. You, you, you kind of. We're supposed to offer to let them use it, um, and uh, what, even though you knew you really wanted to be paid for it, um, and so th- we have this kind of cultural norm here, and um, and Ephron makes this offer. You just just use the land. It's it's no big deal, you know. I we're good friends. You can do this. It's it, it's perfectly fine. Just bury your dead. And Abraham. Uh, comes back and he says, no, I, I want to purchase it. Tell me how much, tell me how much it is, and I will purchase it. And of course, um, Ephron, again, you know, acting like he's making lightly of it, you know, it's, it's uh, 400 shekels, right? 400 shekels of silver. 
And uh, what is that? It's it's no big deal. It's just it's just a property. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, it seems like that was a, a fairly normal value for for a piece of land. And so as soon as Ephron gives that amount, four hundred shekels of silver, Abraham measures out that uh, that weight, and he makes sure, and he does it by the by the the merchants that are there, uh, their their current system and. And and everything is is done above board. He has the witnesses of the other Hittites that are there, and that's important because what is he doing? He's buying a piece of the promised land. He is purchasing for himself a piece of the land that God had promised to him and to his descendants, and uh, and that's a very significant fact. This is not just. A burial ground, because if you notice in this passage, it's not just the cave that Ephron offers to him, but he also offers to him the field that is attached to it. So there's, it's not just this grave. We're not just giving you land that's for burying your dead, but we're also giving you or selling you this piece of property that's attached to it. And so Abraham here is not only buying his and his wife's uh, burial chambers, but he's buying land in the promised land, the place that God had called him from years and years and years ago to come and to dwell as a sojourner. Now he has an ownership in it for the first time in all those years. He is an owner of land in Canaan, the promised land. And that's a very significant fact. And so we see here that the field is then given to Abraham. Everything is done uh, according to the legal process that needed to be done. There were witnesses. And and Abraham is now the legal owner of this property. And it says that uh, in verse 18, to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, and in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So here we have the first instance of purchase of land, the land of promise, now in the hands of Abraham. So all of this is going on, um, and, and, it's just, and it's a weird passage because uh, it, it doesn't seem to, to really yield initially a bunch of uh, spiritual information. You know, we just came off the heels of Abraham uh, sacrificing Isaac. And, um, you know, that's got huge spiritual impact, right? I mean, we have we have a, an example of Abraham's faith and we have uh, the correlation that Andy gave us a couple weeks ago of Isaac and the sacrifice of Isaac and the, and the ram that was given as a substitute with Jesus Christ and the picture of that of, of what's going to happen in the future, hundreds and hundreds of years in the future with Jesus. And, and that's, that's great, and it's easy to kind of see those connections. And, and then we come to this passage, and we just see that Sarah has died. And, and we have this kind of normal uh, burial process, land purchase process, and, and it can be kind of hard to see what is God doing through this passage, what is God doing? What is God revealing about Himself in this passage? And 
I think the thing that God is revealing to us is that God is a God who honors faithfulness. And we've looked at Sarah throughout this these times, and I don't think that we normally think of Sarah as a faithful person. I mean, look at look at the things that Sarah has has done so far. Um, for the most part, I mean, the things that we've focused on throughout this time. What what, what has she done? She's um, she's willingly participated in Abraham's deceptive tactics. Right? We've seen him uh, deceive the Pharaoh in Egypt uh, by telling him that she, to, that she's his sister. We've seen him do the same thing to Abimelech, um, and, and we don't really see any pushback from Sarah about this. Um, you know, she she's a willing participant in this deception, from what we can tell. So she's willingly participated in Abraham's deceptive tactics. Um, she sought out a way to and, and created a way of circumventing God's plan when it seemed like it wasn't going to be possible for her to have children. We know that uh, from the beginning of our introduction to Sarah, where she is known as barren. And, uh, and yet God has promised that she's going to have a child, and, or at least that Abraham's going to have a child. And, and so she comes up with this way to circumvent uh, the process to, to figure out how to, excuse me, how to help God get his will done. And, uh, and then she does that through, you know, having uh, Abraham marry Hagar. And, and of course, they have a child named Ishmael. Um, and, and we have trouble, you know, all the way to today because of this, uh, this idea that Sarah had. Um, and then we've got Sarah, you know, when, when Hagar does have this child, we have Sarah turning on her servant Hagar and treating, mistreating her. Um, to the point that it causes Hagar to run away. Um, and, and even later on, you know, when Isaac is born, we see there's, there's still that tension there between uh, Ishmael and, and Hagar and Sarah. And so uh, we don't see a whole lot of, of great things, for the most part, from Sarah in the, in the scriptures that God has given us. The last thing that I thought of is the fact that uh, when God did come back and made it perfectly clear that it was going to be Sarah who is the one to to bear this child that that he has promised to Isaac or to to Abraham that she laughs you remember she's she's in the tent she's working on this meal that Abraham has promised this massive feast uh, that he's having prepared for the three visitors um, and and she laughs when God says I'm going to be back and uh, the ne- next year at this time you know Sarah's going to have a child and she laughs, and, and, and God calls her out on it and says, why did you laugh? And she tries to deny it. No, I didn't laugh. Um, and, and so we look at Sarah, and we see a lot of things, and you, and you think, man, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure you picked the right title here, David. God honors faithfulness. Um, but I think when you take in all of Scripture, and when you take into account um, everything that has gone on in Sarah's life, I think you're going to see that God actually does honor Sarah for faithfulness because Sarah was faithful. Sarah was faithful. And we're going to look at um, a few ways this, or at least a couple ways that Sarah was faithful in, um, in a couple other passages here this morning. Uh, the first way that Sarah was faithful 
is that she submitted to Abraham's authority. She submitted to Abraham's authority. Now, take a look at First uh, Peter chapter three, verses five and six. And I think we've been here a couple of times as we've talked about Sarah throughout the uh, throughout the last few weeks um, or months. <laughs> but First Peter chapter three. If I can get there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Peter is talking to husbands and wives, and we're actually going to come back to this passage a little bit later. But Peter's talking to husbands and wives, specifically to wives in this passage. And he says in verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Sarah submitted to Abraham's authority. Think about this. We have a woman who, whose husband is called by God to leave possibly everything that she had ever known in the land of Ur and to travel to a place that Abraham didn't even know where he was going. God said, I will show you. And, and so Abraham begins on this journey, and, and Sarah willingly follows and submits to Abraham's authority. Nowhere in, in this passage, this, this book of Genesis, do we see Sarah bucking the system, so to speak, outside of, <laughs> outside of you know, the, the situation with Hagar. And really, she's, she's trying to help Abraham get what God has promised to him. She's been loyal and faithful and submissive and obedient to the leadership of her husband. From the very moment that we see her in Scripture to the moment that she dies, Sarah is a picture of faithfulness in submitting to Abraham's authority. So that's why I think one of the reasons why God is honoring Sarah for her faithfulness. She was faithful in submitting to Abraham's authority. Now, the second way that Sarah was faithful is that Sarah was faithful in believing God's promise of a son. She was faithful in believing God's promise of the son. You may be thinking, didn't you just say that she laughed? Didn't you just say that she, she kind of mocked the fact that how is she going to be able to do that when she's old? Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Again, this is the, the hall of faith. And we'll read in verse 11. It says, by faith, notice that, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Let me read that again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. What's that saying? It's saying that Sarah believed that God's promise was true. She believed that God was going to fulfill the promise 
that he had made that she was going to bear a son. She considered him faithful who had promised. She believed the word of God. Now, yes, she did try to circumvent the process and, and she laughed <laughs> in disbelief when she, she knew there's no physical way possible that I can have a child. Um, but at some point in this process, she believed that God was going to fulfill this promise that he had made to Abraham and to her, that she would conceive and bear a son. And so even though we do have these instances in Sarah's life of, of uh, faithlessness, Sarah in Scripture is considered to be a woman of faith, a faithful woman. And so God in this passage is honoring Sarah's faithfulness. Now, we're going to take a look here and see the several ways that God is honoring Sarah's faithfulness. So God honors Sarah's faithfulness. And that's really, in my opinion, what this passage is about. It's about God honoring his faithfulness, or Sarah's faithfulness, in obeying her husband and believing him. And I have four different ways that God is honoring Sarah's faithfulness this morning. And, uh, and I hope you stick with me because there's, you kind of have to, you have to piece this a little bit together because the scripture just doesn't come out and say this. But I, I think it's interesting points that we even find in this passage. The first one is that he gave Sarah 37 years with Isaac. He gave Sarah 37 years with Isaac. Now think about that. Isaac's born when she's 90. And here in Genesis chapter 23, we find out that she dies at the age of 127. And that's a pretty long time. I mean, she's 90 years old. She's, she's past the point where she should be bearing children. Her body is, is breaking down at this point. And yes, we know that people lived a long time uh, in those days, but, but still, she's, she's old. Abraham notes the fact that she's old um, when she has a child. And so there, there's no idea how long she's going to actually have with this child. And she bears a child at the age of 90, and God gives her 37 years with Isaac. And there may be some who are watching this morning who, um, who have lost a child, either a young child or, or a teenager or even a, a young adult, and they know how precious that time is with their children. A lot of times we don't, uh, we don't recognize how important things are until they're gone. And, uh, and I just think it's interesting that this passage starts off giving us the amount of time that Sarah lived, 127 years. And when you take that into the context of everything that's going on, that means God gave her 37 years with this son that he had promised her. And I think that's just an amazing uh, a way that God honored her faithfulness to give her that time with this promised son to, to know him. And, and there's a special bond that has been created. And it's, we're actually going to look at it in a couple weeks when we look at the next chapter. Uh, I'll give you a spoiler alert for it. Um, but at the end of chapter 24, it says that when Isaac 
married Rebecca, it was a comfort to him because his mother had died. And, and we see that there's this special bond. There's this close relationship that Sarah and, and Isaac had. And I think that's one of, the reason, one of the ways that God honored Sarah by giving her 37 years, uh, uh, an adult time span, from child all the way to adult, for her to, to get to know and love and have a relationship with this child that God had promised. 37 years. Um, the next way that God is honoring her is uh, he's uniquely memorializing her in Scripture. God is, is doing something in this passage that he doesn't do anywhere else in, in all of Scripture. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, based on what I was researching, I, I, I tried to look it up. I didn't notice uh, anything that would counter, contradict this, so hopefully this is, this is true. But um, if, I, if, I, if I'm correct, this is the only woman in Scripture whose age when she died is given, whose death is commemorated, and whose burial process is mentioned in Scripture. This is the only time that these things are given about a woman in Scripture. Now, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of genealogies and things like that are, are very uh, centered on the men uh, as the leaders of the household, as the, the ones who continue on uh, the, the line. But this is the only woman in Scripture who is memorialized this way. And I think that's just another way that God is honoring Sarah's faithfulness by giving us a whole chapter about her burial and about the steps that even Abraham took to honor her and to ensure that she had a proper place of burial and, and a place that would remain in his family for generations. And so I think this fact that, that God spends this time uniquely memorializing um, Sarah in Scripture is not something that we should just look past as, as an interesting passage. It's God giving to us, even today, a reminder of Sarah's faithfulness. He tells her that she lived 127 years and she died, and that she was buried, and he gives us all this information about the process of her burial. This was a faithful woman, but a special woman. She was the mother of all Israel. She was the, the mother of Isaac and Jacob and everyone who came after them. And, and she is a very highly revered woman in, in Israel. She's, she is the matriarch of Israel, um, being, being the wife of Abraham and the mother of Isaac. And so this passage, which seems a little bit odd to us today, is huge in significance when it comes to God honoring Sarah for her faithfulness. The third way that uh, God honored Sarah which we find in this passage, is that he allowed her death to be the first claim to the promised land. Think about that. He allowed her death to be the first claim to the promised land. All this time, Abraham and, and Sarah have been traveling around uh, the, the promised land. They've been sojourners. They've, uh, they've had relationships with a lot of people who own land there. They've had 
generally good relationships, it seems like, except for those times of deceit. Um, We've seen him go off to war. We've seen him uh, have this good relationship with other kings around him. Excuse me. So, so we see that they're, there's, they're living there, and they've lived there ever since they got there, pretty much, except for their uh, little stint down in Egypt. But they've never owned any property. This is the land that God has, has promised, I will give this to you and to your offspring. And, and, and not, not only am I going to make your offspring like the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky, but they're going to dwell here. They're going to live here. They're going to own this promised land, this land that I am going to give to you. And yet, he doesn't have any of it. And I think it's interesting that God allows Sarah's death to be the impetus for the first purchase, the first ownership of the land of Canaan, the the land of promise, what will one day be the land of Israel. And we have Sarah, who is a faithful wife, to Abraham, who is faithful in believing the promises of God. And she's honored by her death being what causes Abraham to see the first hint of that promise being fulfilled. And I know, you know, we may say, well, it would have been nice if maybe they had pre-purchased their burial plots so that she could be part owner of, of the land, you know, before she died. But that's God's will. And God has allowed her death to be the catalyst that, that begins this process of Israel taking over. Of course, they're not going to own much of it. We know that Jacob's going to buy a piece later on. Um, but then they're going to be in, in Egypt for a very long time, for 400 years, before they even come back to, uh, to the land of Canaan and, and begin to conquer it. And of course, they're going to own it through conquering, not through purchasing. Uh, but here is just, just a glimmer, just a, a slight piece in this cave and in this land this field that's attached to it, just a little bit of the promise of God giving the promised land to to Abraham being fulfilled. And I think it's another way that God is honoring Sarah and her faithfulness by allowing her death to be a part of how this all comes about. And the fourth way that I believe God is, is honoring Sarah is that he gives her as an example to us today. God gives Sarah as an example of faithfulness to us today. We just read two different passages in the New Testament, one in uh, Hebrews 11 and one in 1 Peter chapter 3. And both of those passages, you know, as much as we've looked at Genesis and seen Sarah in potentially a negative light many, many times, both of those passages are giving Sarah as an example of faithfulness, as an example of someone who, who is the type of person that we should de- be, desire to be. And so God is, is giving her as an, an example of faithfulness as a way of honoring her for her faithfulness, both in her, remember, both in her obedience to Abraham, her, her willingness to submit to his authority and his leadership, as well as her belief in God, her willingness to to believe in spite of everything natural and scientific 
to the contrary, that God was going to be able to fulfill what he promised he would do in giving her a son. So we see that God honors faithfulness, and he's doing that here in Sarah's life in this passage as we see her dying, as we see Abraham mourning for her, as we see him going and and purchasing this property. God is using this process in this passage to honor a woman who was not perfect, but a woman who was faithful. And, And we see that example here in not only this passage, but also in the New Testament. So we see that God honors Sarah for her faithfulness, but God also honors us for our faithfulness. God honors us for our faithfulness. And I just want to look at several passages real quickly uh, this morning in the New Testament, talking about ways that God honors us for our faithfulness. And, and I think it's interesting. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to go back there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want to read this whole passage because it's interesting that God gives Sarah as an example in this passage specifically because it's talking about a relationship between husbands and wives. And one of the ways that God honors us for faithfulness, I think, is our faithfulness to obeying the biblical roles in the marriage relationship. God honors our faithfulness to biblical roles in the marriage relationship. And I want to read this passage um, and kind of point that out here. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God honors our faithfulness to biblical roles in the marriage relationship. And I I want you to look at this, specifically first for wives. Be subject to your own husbands. And it's interesting what God says here to wives. He says, even if some do not obey the word. And I know a lot of times we look at that as potentially a a husband who is an unbeliever. And and of course, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, I believe, if I remember correctly, deals with... um, Marriage and divorce, it deals with um, husbands and wives who are, who are married, but their spouses are not married, and, and, uh, and it talks about the value there. But I think this is really interesting because it, it's not necessarily just talking about someone who doesn't know the Lord. This could also uh, relate to a husband who, who claims to be a believer, but maybe is, is living a lifestyle um, that he shouldn't, uh, that he, maybe he's 
participating in, in sinful behavior that he should not be participating in. Maybe he's just uh, shirking his responsibilities as spiritual leader. It could be lots of different things, but it's interesting what it says. It says, so that even if some do not obey the word, uh, let's be perfectly honest. I mean, all of us fail at one point or another in obeying the word. And unfortunately for us as husbands, when we don't obey the word, that has a trickle-down effect to our wives and to our families. And, and it has an impact on them spiritually. So if we're not living the way that we should be living, it has an impact. And, and yet God is telling wives here, be submissive. Have the proper submissive attitude so that even if your husband is not living the way that he should be living, whether he's saved or not, even if he's not living and fulfilling his role the way that he's supposed to be fulfilling his role, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. By the conduct of their wives, that, that simple act of submission has a huge impact to the lost and to the saved husband. When a woman is willing to submit to the authority of her husband, it has a huge impact. She doesn't even have to say anything. Just the fact that she's willing to submit to the authority that God has given the husband, not because he's more important. We look down here, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, we are equal in the sight of God. But yet God has given us specific roles within the family, and God requires us to fulfill those roles. And part of the role of the wife is to submit to the authority and the headship of the husband in the home. And it's interesting that even without a word, when a woman does that, it has a great impact on her husband. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, respectful and pure conduct, and so I want to challenge you this morning. God honors our faithfulness in biblical roles. If you're a woman this morning and your uh, husband has maybe a besetting sin, a fault that, uh, that you know about, maybe you've talked to him about it, uh, maybe he hasn't admitted it, maybe he has admitted it and he just feels defeated, or maybe your, uh, your husband is someone who is, is not a believer at this time, be faithful to your biblical role because God will honor your biblical role, your faithfulness to your biblical role. And then, of course, husbands, we're not off the hook, right? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. See, this, this idea of authority is not one where, where we get to put our wives down and put her in her place. We're just supposed to show her honor. We're supposed to lift her up. We're supposed to do what Abraham did. Right? He honored his wife by going through this process of buying this land to give her a proper burial. Uh, he didn't just bury a, a hole in the sand somewhere and, and put her in it. He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to honor Sarah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. God gives us a warning, men, about our relationship with our wives. If our relationship with our wives is not right, he says that our prayers may be hindered. God listening to our prayers as men is a way of honoring our faithfulness to our wives in our biblical role. 
and his not listening to us as a way of punishing us for, for not fulfilling our biblical role. So God honors our faithfulness to our biblical roles in the marriage relationship. Uh, not only that, but God honors our faithfulness through trials with eternal rewards. And I know we've kind of been to this passage quite a bit recently. It makes sense given the things that we're, uh, that we're going through now, being, a, being forced to be away from one another um, and, and trying to have these services via live stream and, and get in connection with one another via electronic means. But uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let me read that again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God honors our faithfulness through trials with eternal rewards. I think it's important to, to catch that, that those last two words, eternal rewards. Because a lot of times we go through these trials and we, and we go through these hardships and we think, man, I, I wish there was something here on earth that I was getting for this. And, and that's just reminding us of our, of our temporal focus. We need to be people who are not focused on the things of this world, who are not enamored by the things of this world and what we can get in this world. But we need to understand that this world is not our home. And the old, the old song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. There's some place that, that we are going. It is an eternal home. And when we get there, there will be eternal rewards for those who have been faithful. And specifically in this passage, it says the crown of righteousness for those who faithfully go through trials. Because trials are hard. It's hard to go through these times. I think of uh, Carolyn right now in the hospital. Um, a lot of questions, a lot of wondering what's going on. Uh, God is in control, and we trust Him. But I'm sure it's a very, it's a very scary time for her right now, and I, and I hope that you are, are praying for her as well. But even through a trial as grave as this, she can be faithful. And, and I think it's, it's wonderful to hear her testimony even so far. Um, every time I've talked to her, it's been just, the Lord's in control. He's got it, no matter what happens. And, and, and that's the attitude that, that we desire to have when we go through trials. One of faithfulness, one of trust, that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is working everything out for our good. And if we go through those trials with faithfulness, with steadfastness, then there is a reward at the end. Specifically in James 1, there's a reward of the crown of life. But not only does God honor us in our, in our biblical roles as we're faithful to them, not only does God honor us as we're faithful to, through trials, but God honors our faithfulness. Hang on, sorry. God honors our faithfulness in persecution with eternal glory. God honors our faithfulness in persecution with eternal glory. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Second 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul here is talking about the gospel, the light of the gospel, and talking about the fact that, that we have this treasure of the gospel that's given to us in, in, in our bodies and in, in the, these this jars of clay, uh, as he mentions earlier on in this passage. But we come to verse 16 and it says, So we do not lose heart. He's talking about persecution here. So we do not lose heart. Though the outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God honors our faithfulness in persecution with eternal glory. I think that's an interesting contrast because what is persecution? Persecution is, is someone putting us down, right? Someone trying to dishonor us for our faith in Jesus Christ and for our faithfulness to Him. And so it's an interesting contrast that the reward, the honor that God bestows upon us who are faithful through persecution is eternal glory. And I think it's, it's I love how it says this, for, for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. To be able to spend eternity with Jesus Christ and the glory that is His excuse me, that we will be able to share in. So God honors our faithfulness and persecution with eternal glory. And then our last one here, God honors our faithfulness in stewarding his gifts with eternal joy. God honors our faithfulness in stewarding his gifts with eternal joy. And this is a very familiar passage. In fact, it's one that we, we tend to go to a lot when we think about God uh, rewarding us. Uh, we, tend to, we tend to come to this passage in Matthew chapter 25. We're actually going to end with a little bit of this in our words of commissions as well. But Matthew chapter 25, I just want to read verse 23. This is the parable of the talents. And we know that, that, the, that the master has given talents to three men. Uh, five, two, and one. We know that the person with one went and buried it because he was afraid, but the people with two and five, they uh, doubled it. They, they used it wisely for his, uh, for his benefit. And so the, king, the, the, the master has come back, and he's, and he's talking to these servants, and he says the same thing to both, uh, both of the first two, the, the, the servant with five talents and the servant with two talents. And he says here in verse number 23, sorry, I have page flip, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And a lot of times, you know, we kind of stop there. And we, we, like, we like that kind of feeling, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I want to key on, on, that, on that faithful part, because God honors our faithfulness in stewarding his gifts with eternal joy. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will, make, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. And as you think about our faithfulness, not just through trials, not just through persecution, but even our faithfulness in stewarding the things that God has given us, whether that's our time, 
whether that's our money, whether that's our possessions, or maybe most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given us the opportunity to steward the gospel for his glory. Yes, he's given us opportunity to steward our, our finances, to steward his finances, to steward our possessions, to steward the talents uh, that, that he's given us. But he has given us the opportunity to steward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the most important thing that we could be stewarding. And God is going to honor our faithfulness in stewarding those gifts with eternal joy. I love that. It says, enter into the joy of your master. There's that relationship there. He says, you have done well. Now let's rejoice together. Let's, let's have this joyful relationship together. So God honors Sarah's faithfulness and God will honor our faithfulness. You know, we may not be getting some uh, amazing you know, award or plaque here on earth for our, for our faithfulness, but we need to keep in mind that one day we're going to stand before Christ and we're going to give an account of everything that we've done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And Scripture tells us that He will reward us for the things that we've done, if we've done them for the right reason, if we've been faithful. And so I want to encourage you this morning, just, just like Sarah made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> we, we noted those earlier this morning. Sarah made a lot of errors. She, she messed up a lot. And, and we, we tend to kind of look down on her, I think, for a lot of those things. But yet, Scripture tells us that Sarah was a faithful woman. And I think we can learn from this passage here in Genesis chapter 3, where God records for us her age, her death, he records for us this whole process of this purchase of land specifically so that Sarah could be buried properly. This honor that, that Abraham gives to Sarah in this action. And yet God is honoring her as well by giving us a glimpse into this and, and helping us understand that, yes, we're going to make mistakes. But if we are faithful, if we are getting back up, if we're, if we're going back at it, if we're seeking to have that close relationship, if we're keeping a, a short sin account with God, if we're building our relationship with Him every day, if we're being faithful in what He has called us to do, God will honor our faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are faithful even though we are not. And we thank You that we can trust in You to fulfill the promises that you've promised as you fulfilled the promises in Sarah's life for Isaac and his birth through her. We thank you that even through her death, you begin the, to, to fulfill, and even in a small way, this promise of the promised land being given to Abraham and to his descendants. Lord, we thank you for this example of Sarah, not a perfect person, but a woman who overall was faithful to do what you desired for her to do. I pray that we would be people who are faithful to what you've called us to do, faithful to our relationships and biblical roles in our marriage, faithful to, to serve you through trials and persecution, and faithful to simply steward what you've given to us well. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, Lord, but so that one day when we do stand before you, we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into your master's joy. Lord, we, we desire that and we look forward to that. And I pray that you would give us the strength to be faithful in the days ahead. Even through these trying times, Lord, when we're not able to gather together as we normally would, I pray that you'd help each of us individually, as families, and as a, a church body to be faithful to do what you have called us to do, to be what you have called us to be as your church. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to end this morning with a song.